everybody. This is your host, Gourmet. I'm glad to have you back for another episode of the Fat Guy Forum, where I bring to you the stories of fat guys, whether they were fat, they are fat, or they're somewhere in between. Uh, we talk about what, what their lives have been like and hope that you'll learn a little bit from their experiences. And I definitely think you're going to be able to take something away from tonight's discussion, whether you're a fat guy who's out there listening or you're one of my loyal lady listeners, or just someone out there who enjoys this podcast. My guest today is is James Simpson, and James has a, a really interesting story and has had some big milestones on that journey of his, and I'm just really excited to dive into them with him, So, I, and I'm excited for you to meet my friend. So, James, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell the listeners what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Um, well, at my heaviest, I was over 350 pounds, um, had two very young children at the time, pretty much physically inactive and unable to do anything with them. Um, and kind of looking through my journey and looking back upon my journey, I was in a very dark, depressed state of mind and using coping mechanisms that just kept the weight, um, coming on. And it wasn't until um, I looked inside myself and fixed those demons, if you will, that I could uh, begin to transform not only my mindset, but also my body. So, And, and you've definitely gone through a transformation, man. But let, let's, talk, let's talk about what got you to where you were, because were you big your whole life or was the weight gain something that came on later in your experience? Um, no, I was... Um, average size, I would guess. I mean, I, I wrestled and, and when I graduated high school, I was probably about 160, 175, somewhere in there. Um, and the weight did not really start coming on until, um, college, but, um, the journey kind of began right after high school. Um, I had a very freak accident in between my summer year of senior year and beginning college where um, I dove off a boat into three feet of water in a lake um, and actually cracked uh, two of my vertebrae and became bedridden. Um, and kind of during that time, I was um, looking forward to hanging out with all of my high school friends and transitioning into college and having one big last um, thing before we all ventured through our next chapters in life. And kind of looking back at that, realized that during that time, those individuals were kind of there during my childhood and high school years. But when I thought I needed them most and probably did, they chose to go a different direction. Um, so I was more or less bedridden without the accompaniment or visitations or whatever from any of those people that... I would have thought were my closest friends at the time. And that is kind of where the catalyst to depression, I believe, began on my journey. So after that stint in the bed rest ridden state was over, I did start college. But during that four-year period, I never really um, made close connections with anybody. Um, I kind of stayed to myself. Um, and I think looking back, it was I didn't want to get close 
to anyone just to repeat and get quote unquote hurt um, by having false expectations of what I would deem a friendship would be at the time. So during that time, I turned to um, alcohol and kind of used it as a constant companion to deal with depression. Um, and after that, it the alcohol over the years began to get worse and worse until um, a defining moment in 2008, 2009 timeframe um, where uh, with my wife and a brand new um, baby girl, I pretty much absolutely hit rock bottom um, and had to take a deep dive into myself and find out truly what I wanted. Um, realizing that if I did not, I would probably not be around much longer. Um, I wouldn't have called my mindset suicidal in any way, but I was impartial to whether at the time I lived or died, if that makes sense. Oh, I think it completely does. And I, and I think it makes sense what you went through, you know, having that happen to you so young, that first, you know, that your injury and, and seeing those relationships that, you know, when we're that young, like those relationships are kind of what mean the most in our world at times. And to have them not be there for you, I'm, I'm sure that there was really a devastating impact on, on just your development in terms of, like you're saying, how you relate to other people and, you know, being having to learn how to rebuild that is is not something that we're trained for really as people. Like no one ever sits down and talks to us about you know, how to build relationships. And they talked to us a little bit about finding friends, but not really. Uh, like, it's just all expected to happen naturally. And to have that process kind of shortchanged on you, I'm sure, you know, created those kind of lasting ripples that you saw develop into to deeper issues. And so what what happened for you in, in two, you said it was 2008, 2009, you, you had that moment where you had to realize that you were kind of indifferent to your life or death, but you, you hit rock bottom and did things change then? Like what was the catalyst for, for changing your behavior? So in 2008, my youngest daughter was born and we as a country were kind of going through the economic downfall, if you will. And um, my organization that I was with at the time pretty much took everyone's base pay down 10 or 20%. I don't exactly recall. And they pretty much were like, this is going to happen. If you don't like it, you can go find work elsewhere. Um, so that that financial hit coupled with the stressors of a newborn child, which isn't her fault, obviously, but it, it does create you know stress. And then not being able to see a long-term future and kind of living within my own um, deprived state it was just almost like a defining moment, if you will, um, where it was pretty much, if you don't stop doing this, you're going to end up killing yourself. And, um, you know, through the use of alcohol, not by quote unquote normal suicidal means, but, um, and something within me just said, no, I need to be here and find myself for, my wife and my children. But during that search for myself, I've kind of went to an extreme where it was no longer even about 
my family. It was truly the James show. And for two, two years or, or, you know, I was, you know, cutting weight or losing weight, doing the right things I thought needed to be done, going to a gym. Um, but I was doing anything and everything I wanted to do. If I wanted to go out with coworkers on a Friday after work, I wasn't checking the calendar or seeing what other plans were going. I was just going. And I would be reluctant to say I even said I was going. It was more or less I would just go. Um, you know, and that was creating stressors at home, if you will, because my wife was not knowing where I was, knowing if I was safe, who I was with, where I was, a way to contact me, um, or anything like that. And that period of time went on for, for two years. And during, you know, the beginning of my transformation to when the second rock bottom came, you know, I had gone from over 350 pounds down to 170 pounds. And then it pretty much became an intervention, if you will, that it was, I'm going to be here for my family or my family's not going to be around any longer. And that's when truly the rock bottom came and it became, this isn't about James anymore. This is about my my family and the people within the walls of my of the home that I need to provide for. And I need to look deep inside whether I want to be a part of that any longer or if I don't. And then almost again, it was if I don't, I know, I know I'm going to either end up probably dead or I'm going to end up in jail because the alcohol abuse was still there. But I was at my heaviest, I was drinking over a fifth every single night, seven days a week. But during my transformation, the first transformation from 350 pounds down to 170 pounds, I was more of the social drinker, but that binge drinking mentality was still there. It wasn't just go out and have one or two beers with the boys, watch the game, and then go home. It was six, seven, eight beers or liquor and get home when I want to get home, um, if I make it home type of thing. So. Um, you know, that is where truly the rock bottom of the entire journey was where I was, an intervention occurred where it was pretty much, do you want to be a part of this family anymore? And if you do, it starts now. And if you don't, that will start now. And that is where mom, the decision to kind of truly turn my life around began. Um, and that was probably around 2010, 2012. And I think there's something powerful for us to sit in for a minute because there are, there are people out there that would look on the outside uh, of your situation and think, well, here's this dude that was over 350 pounds and he lost all the weight and losing all the weight takes away all the problems. You know, the, the weight must be causing the problems. The weight will take away the problems. And I think we put all, all of our eggs in, a ba in one basket sometimes and don't realize that, that our stories can be more nuanced and our, our challenges can be more nuanced because, you know, when, you know, I, you and I have been talking for a while, but, you know, even just, you know, hearing your story and, and knowing a little bit about your story, like there's so many more dimensions to what was going on for you than about what was being put on your plate. 
You know, it was literally, you know, there was obviously what was in your glass, but also, you know, just the way you were approaching life and those choices you were making and having to having to hit that that rock bottom place is a, is a powerful a powerful thing and the having the rock bottom come after you were quote unquote successful i think is is even probably more challenging to face because hey you got you got this one side in line why isn't everything else kind of automatically there in place right and i think through the weight my weight loss my first weight loss journey I was looking for acceptance in an attempt to find individuals that I could connect with and more or less going back to the beginning of the story, um, what I had lost during that transition between high school and college and throughout college, not having that close knit group of friends that, you know, you're building a relationship that would cross generations um you know where where everything goes and and looking back you know i was the guy with the wife and kids or and the people i was hanging out with were either not in a relationship or they were newlyweds but they had no children so i was putting myself in an environment around in individuals that i could connect with but i couldn't connect everyone in my family with because we were as a group outsiders because we were the only ones with children so i chose rather than building a stronger relationship with my family to more or less cast them aside and go with this other group of individuals that you know we're still in the quote-unquote college lifestyle of going out friday and saturday nights until whatever and drinking heavily and doing that and that just continued to grow and grow and looking for the acceptance within the group i think that makes a lot of sense like that that really does make a lot of sense that you would look to find you know because of the hole that was created you know find something that was going to fill that hole what was the result of this of the intervention you know what you were faced with the choice. What what was the result of that? So from that intervention, it was pretty much cutting ties with everybody outside of my family um, and starting a new chapter um, and rebuilding and creating a relationship with and for my family. And I, I'm just, I, I think this is something that people can learn from. Like, how do you go, how did you go about starting to do that? Like, what, what did that look like for you? Um, it was still pretty much taking the invitations and just telling them that, you know, if I will go with you, but I'm bringing my family along and asking if that was okay. And over time, it became clearer that it was not okay and whether it was putting those people in uncomfortable situations or they could not act in the way they chose to want to act because there were now children present so it kind of the relationships would drift apart naturally because of me having a different personal dynamic in my family than they had at the time 
And had the shift in priorities that you made, did that make those changes easier for you? Like knowing that you had a focus on your family and providing for your family uh, was when people would kind of choose to not be a part, you know, not to want to invite you to situations anymore or be a part of them, you know, did that impact you the same way it did the first time? Or was that more of you could, you could have a perspective on why they were making their choices? Um, I would have a perspective of it and it created a closer connection with my family, but when still given the opportunity to go out and drink, I would take advantage of that. And the way that it kind of developed was I was in a small town in North Carolina and there was a microbrewery there and Mike, you know me and you know, I don't meet strangers very often. So, and that probably comes back to, you know, looking for those close relationships. I would form quasi relationships with suppliers or people from the headquarters coming in and be the one to show them, you know, Hey, let's go out to dinner. Let's go to this microbrewery. And it became still now, instead of going out on Friday and Saturday nights, it would be truly a Thursday night. And I would tell my wife and I'd be like, Hey, I'm going out, but I've got to go out. It's for work. Um, and then I wouldn't come home until two o'clock in the morning, Friday morning and wake up and go to work. So I still, I was creating a false perception of creating a closer bond with my family, but still heavily leaning on alcohol as a dependent and finding ways within the acceptance of the family to go and search those things out. So, you know, I was not um, clean and sober. And if given the opportunity to go out and get quote unquote free drinks with a supplier, I was going to find a way to manipulate the situation so I could still go do that. Um, and it was creating at the time um, an outlook of being able to one, fuel the substance abuse while also putting myself in an environment with other people outside of my family. And then, but it was putting a strain there because I was twisting what was really happening to find a way to do that. I, I think that makes sense that when we have those behaviors that they just can't be shut off. So they, they can morph and change and adapt. And it sounds like, you know, in a lot of ways, like you adapted your, your alcohol abuse to the new parameters you were trying to establish, you know, the new relationships you're trying to build in your life. How, how long did that go on? Like what, what brought that to a head? Like it's, it sounds like still as much as, you know, you were making some things work, there had to be problems and challenges there. Yeah. So I eventually found and decided to look for another opportunity outside of that organization. So I lucked out and kind of found a job to be able to do that where I didn't know anybody. Um, you know, and the people there, everyone commuted to this plant that I worked at and nobody really went out after work because it was in isolation, if you will. It wasn't near any big towns. It wasn't even in small cities. It was literally a farm town. 
um, an hour from anything. Um, so it kind of put me in an environment where the search for meaningful relationships um, outside of my family was gone. Um, and it put the, the onst on building that relationship finally with my family. Um, but that just was in the short term. Um, I was only with that organization for a year and I was finally given the opportunity to move to Texas. So I moved to Texas without my family for, um, six months, roughly three to six months. And within that time frame, um, and moving to Texas, I did not know anyone. Um, I had family here in Texas, but my perception of how I thought things would be, um, were not real. There, there were not good communication and expectations set prior to me moving to Texas. So I was in a situation where versus sitting in a one bedroom apartment every night, I was going out to the local bars and drinking beers and eating burgers and not really associating with anybody still, you know, not looking for, um, acceptance or friendships. Um, but definitely getting back into a heavy alcohol abuse situation. Um, and you know, my weight from the bottom that I recall was 170. And prior to my family moving down here, I had increased that back up to over 250 pounds. So it, it, again, it's, it's in, in a way, like I listen and it, and there, it sounds a lot like the, when pe the kind of the fable of the goldfish, you know, that'll grow and shrink depending on the environment that it's in, you know, living in. And, you know, it was, you were now in this environment where your ab abuse pattern with alcohol could, could flourish more, you know, and you didn't have, there was no real kind of social checks or even, you know, your family wasn't there to, ha you know, have any parameters put on you. Uh, what was it like when your family joined you in Texas? So they moved down and we were put into my company's um, relocation apartment complex. So it became, you know, a lot better. But, you know, I was using my wife as a um person to continue to feed my addiction. So I was heavy into the craft beer scene and she, I guilted her into always when the grocery shopping was being done, picking up a six or 12 pack of local micro beers. So I was staying at home, building the relationships, but I was still dependent on the alcohol to where I was still consuming probably a six pack every two days. Um, and then on the weekends, we would go out together to breweries and such. And I would, it became so commonplace that we actually nicknamed it time traveling, where I would actually black out for so long with my family present, my children present, and then wake up not knowing where I was, 
are what happened and having to be told the horrors of things I have done in situations that children of any age should never see their father doing um, or any adult, in fact. But, you know, the state of mind in which I was, I was very heavily um, dependent still on alcohol and abusing it um, excessively to a point where, like I said previously, blacking out um, with my family present was a very, very common um, occurrence. And, and what was it like for you when that was happening, like emotionally? And, and how was that? Like, what is it like to look back on that now? Then when it was happening and I would be told the stories um, of what occurred, it was embarrassment. Um, is how I felt mainly not for myself, but for the children and my wife being in a situation that they're around someone who doesn't obviously know what they're doing, um, and not taking able to take control of the situation. Um, and looking back at it, you know, that's, that's not representative of what I believe of a father and husbands should put their family in. Um, you know, I remember one one situation. We were at a local microbrewery here in Texas for a bring your children in and build a gingerbread house. So we get there, and there are children everywhere of every age group. And you go in, you buy your little gingerbread house, and they had everything set up. And we begin making the gingerbread houses. Everything is fine and dandy. And then I end up meeting someone who I never met prior to that. And then it became, we'll meet my friends. Here's this. And then it became such a point where the next thing I remember, I'm at home now. And, and asking you know, my wife what happened, she's like, well, everybody kept buying beers. And then I end up looking at my bank account. I ended up cashing out like four or five different times. Um, it became a thing where everybody was trading numbers. And my wife was like, when we finally left, I had to pull over to the side of the road so you could throw up twice on the way home. Um, and, and that was a, a pretty common theme where we would go out and not knowing my limits or choosing to enact those limits and just continuing to drink to the point at which I was functioning, but still blacked out. So clearly, this was building to be almost a crisis point. What, when did it change and why did it change? So in 2017, in January, my neighborhood um, does a annual, quote unquote, biggest loser challenge. Um, and some neighbors had recommended, James, why don't you do this? And I was like, sure, I'll do this. So um, the challenge was for 90 days. And it was based on percentage of weight lost. So during that 90-day um, transition, you know, I would not drink any alcohol. 
or if I did, it would be one beer. And I would not recommend what I did to anybody from a health standpoint, obviously, but I went from 250 pounds to 200 pounds in 90 days. Um, and then after, after that 90 day transition is when I started going into a ketogenic lifestyle, um, like yourself. So I think that transitioning into keto, um, helped break, um, what was needed from, um, the dopamine hits from alcohol. It, it was able to do something within the brain that was no longer looking for that trigger to continually look for. So in 2017, you know, I would still drink, but by October 2018, I was drinking less than a beer a week. And, you know, now I have gone over a year without any alcohol. Um, so, you know, I believe that finding and choosing to continue a ketogenic way of life has been able to help keep um, me mentally open and clearer that I'm not looking for um, alcohol to help fill voids because I can tell when my diet gets off track or my fat kind of gets low, I can kind of start feeling that depressive mindset creeping in. And I know when my macros and everything are out of balance because that's when the little voice in my head starts to creep up. And I can tell you within the past year, you know, everybody I was quote unquote hanging out with for the most part in Texas that I no longer hang out with them um, either. And that kind of just naturally happened. Um, I don't know why or how, but I look at myself too, because I'm typically have the mindset where if someone wants me around, they'll ask versus now looking at things in hindsight where it's not a one-way street. Life and, and friendships are not a one-way street. Like I can't always anticipate someone texting me or asking me something and not reciprocating and doing it in return. Um, it's not, it's not fair on the friendships and it's taken a while of self inner and looking inside to kind of put that into perspective where I was always wanting and taking more from other people and not giving back. And that's kind of hurt now. I mean, it's hard to say because now in, in Houston where we're at, you know, we, I, the only people really around now are my family. And looking back, all the years and, and memories and times that I chose through my alcohol abuse to not be around them and not build memories and creating a mindset um, within my children of, of what a father looks like and now trying to rebuild that and repair those relationships because um, I think those memories are very deep, especially within my oldest daughter's memory, who was, you know, old enough at the time to still recall those memories that it's okay. Um, you know, 
now I'm, I'm, I'm sober. It's been over a year. I'm doing martial arts. I'm staying on a ketogenic diet. Um, and I'm focusing and in, in building memories with, with the people in my, in my four walls. So I, I, there's so many powerful realizations there for you, man, that I, I do, I want to dive into all of them. I do first want to highlight because we specifically are recording this podcast now because you just was, was yesterday your one year anniversary of, of being completely sober? So yeah, um, my last beer was October 31st, 2018. Okay. And so today is November 2nd, 2019. So we're, you know, we're a full over a full day in um, to that year for you. And so I want to, you know, applaud you making that choice. And the funny thing is like, we were connected then when you were, when you were making that choice and I didn't know as much of your story, you know, obviously like backstory when you, you, you were posting and I think we might've been DMing and you're like, I think I'm going to not drink at all anymore. You know, I'm, I only drink, you know, a beer here or there, but I think I'm not going to drink at all anymore. And, you know, now to know kind of the context of, of those decisions, like, I think there's a real, you, you've done some really powerful things. And like, I, 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 you inspire me in a lot of ways. And like our connection, obviously, you know, has a lot to do with, you know, at first, you know, finding each other through weight loss and the keto life and, you know, but we've also, you know, gotten into this relationship of pushing each other in other areas of personal development. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you, you've been able to kind of reach some clarity. Like that was a word you used when you were talking about, you know, kind of the mental process that's come through for you, you know, going onto the ketogenic diet and getting into that lifestyle. Like it's brought to you a clarity about, you know, your purpose and your relationship with alcohol and, but then also the relationships you want to build with people and how those relationships affect you. And I, I there's, I, it's, it's dumb that I keep saying the word powerful, <laughs> um, but there is something really powerful there, man. So I, I hope that's something that you see for yourself for one, but two, like what, what is your perspective on like how you, because I think sometimes like we all go through these experiences that put opportunities and gifts in front of us and you could have easily found ways to outwork the ketogenic diet in terms of alcohol use and things along those lines. Like there are people that do, you know, I know people that do. Um, what do you think it was for you? Like what, what is the facet of it for you that allowed you to say, wait a minute, this is really working and I'm seeing benefit from this that goes deeper than just change on the scale. Um, it became a mental clarity type of thing where I think over the course of the year that I had done keto, I started with a low carb approach where I wanted to do the cheesecakes and the cookies and the find ways to continue to eat the things I wanted to eat and working around them. Um, and then through just sticking to a strict protocol that I kind of made for myself, it just naturally changed from wanting and seeking out those things to then going to a more whole foods approach to then going to a ketogenic approach to now more of a carnivore keto approach. Um, and then after October 31st of 2018, um, in November, I cut out all of dairy and all nuts 
and was wanting between a 75 and 80% fat on a daily basis. And at that time, my mental clarity um, was absolutely at its peak. And I think having that through dietary choices and macro choices right at the start of trying to break what has been decades-long substance abuse, I think was the catalyst that was able to push me through. And then it became to a point where not being in an environment to bring that out where you know, it's wintertime, people aren't generally hanging out as much anyways outside and not going to barbecues or functions and, hey, grab a beer out of the cooler type of thing. Um, I think those two things coupled together really just help push things to where they're at now, where now if I'm out and about and we're at a bar or at a restaurant and people decide to drink, it's no longer impacting me. I'm not even seeking out to have a beer. Um, you know, I still have alcohol in the house. It doesn't, it's a non-factor. It's, it's no different than me looking at a bag of cat food. I could care less. Um, it's created some um, relationship strains, not on my family, but I think not having, I think some people feel very uncomfortable in two facets. I think people that don't understand or have continued a ketogenic way, um, you know, they if people have started and stumbled and fall, and then other people that they know are very successful in it, there can be kind of like a way that they portray those people or themselves where you know, I'm no longer going to invite this individual over because it's pizza and we're going to have pizza and this person's either going to scrape all the toppings off or not eat. And so they could feel putting that person in a difficult situation. And the same thing kind of with the keto side of things and the food choices we make kind of goes hand in hand with alcohol that when somebody decides to go sober, when you've had that relationship before and that alcohol has kind of always been there, and then you decide no longer that that is part of what you want to be part of, it kind of puts those individuals that still are drinking or whatever in an uncomfortable environment, I believe, in knowing that I'm no longer drinking. Um, for me, it's not a factor, but I can definitely see in, in where they're coming from, where everyone has their own demons that they struggle with. And then, you know, if if certain individuals are struggling with trying to lose weight and they see people are successful, they may not want to be around those people as much or at all because someone's been successful. So they're, when they see those individuals, they're having to look at themselves harder and reflecting that, you know, they're not successful in goals they've started. Um, and I, and I appreciate that and I respect that. It's just sometimes you know, for me, it's where a conversation could kind of have place versus just leaving things um, open-ended. But I mean, I'm sure that um, other people you've had on the podcast, even if you go through a weight loss in yourself, Mike, you know, there are certain people that just don't no longer want to be in that circle because they now feel uncomfortable of the successes of other people. Oh, I, I think you're completely right. I think 
there's and and I think on the surface there's probably someone listening who's like he's trying to say that people are jealous and that's not what it's about at all like it's really you know we it, we're raised in our culture to to base our perceptions of ourselves on other people so when someone else changes something that we know is a struggle you know, especially like someone who may have been, you know, whether it was openly identified or not, you know, quote unquote, like an eating buddy or a drinking buddy, you know, or there's someone that enjoyed things in the same way you did. And they still do, you know, they, there's this reflection that, you know, can be uncomfortable. And it's not something, you know, you or I are doing, or even they're intentionally doing, but they have that perception of, of judgment. And they, they worry about, you know, how am I perceived now? So it's, it's more comfortable to not do this. And, like you also said, there's also that dimension of I get a lot of people. I know a lot of people like in my family, like when it's time for gatherings and things like that, like we want to make something that you can eat or we want to do something you can eat or we want to, you know, we want to make sure there's something there for you or I feel really bad that we're going here and there's nothing there you can eat or this is happening. Um, and nine times out of 10 or 9.9999 times out of 10, I have to say it's completely OK. Like I'm not stressing about that at all. You know, because really, at the end of the day, most times we're not thinking about the other people, you know, about what the other people are going to eat or drink. But within ourselves, we we think about that, you know, like I was I used to be a big sneak eater, you know, because I was always worried about people thinking people were watching what I was eating, you know, exactly, you know, watching what I was eating like a hawk when I was bigger. So, you know, I, I used to eat a lot behind closed doors like we we have that perception. And when food and alcohol are such the social lubricants in our culture, when you say no thank you to them, it people don't know how to react. And so it can sometimes instead of letting things just be be awkward or be discussed as being okay, uh, they would rather not, you know, have to even force that discussion or that moment to happen. And I, I think it, you know, it, it happens to a lot of people for different reasons. But you're right that it it does it can change things. And and there are I have I have a lot of friends that I was really close to when I started my weight loss journey who were on the same path and they for whatever reasons for themselves haven't been successful and and we're not as close anymore like we don't communicate as much and I a lot of that is you know a pulling back you know I can look at there are several people like even accounts on Instagram that I connected with initially like we were in similar spots when I started and I, I can look, I look now every so often at our old DM and see like, you know, the time tracker of like a message going from my direction every couple of months and no response. And um, it's sad that those changes happen. But I think for me, you know, what comes back is that whole, I, I and I feel like I talk about this way too much on the podcast already, but I, I just go back to that, idea, that stoic idea that I can only control myself and I can't control anyone else. And I have to worry about, you know, controlling myself to be my best for other people as well. So I don't, you know, I can't control how someone's going to react to something that I do. I can't control how someone's going to react to a choice that I make and that my choice might trigger something else for them. Like I have to, I have to do what I know is right, you know, for me and healthy for me and my relationships. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's taken me, um, you know, ever since we connected to kind of look at myself and the quote unquote fear of missing out, you know, it kind of, 
is one of those things where it's like, why do I put so much emphasis on wanting to connect with other people versus building memories for my nuclear family and doing that and finding the choice that if things upset me, um, I have no control of what other people do or don't do. Um, all I can control is my emotions that I put towards that and then find ways to either block, um, that. So, you know, that mindset of, well, why did that happen? Why didn't this happen? And that happen or finding, um, positive ways to, um, work on releasing that, that negative energy. Um, so it doesn't, for myself, begin to build um, a depressive mindset that just once that seed is planted, it kind of would begin to grow versus just looking at it, shrugging my shoulders and moving on. And I think you're, that mindset is something that you've worked hard on this past year, like at least this past year that I've known you, like I, I've seen it. And so I want to I want to know what your perspective is on what you do now to ensure that the old patterns and the old behaviors don't resurface in, in damaging ways again. Like what are what is your approach to, you know, keeping yourself on on track? Um, I definitely do a lot of reading. Um, I start my day um, very early in the morning. Um, but one of the things I've done religiously every day, even while we were all at, at KetoCon this past year, is I read um, the one page from the Daily Stoic and reflect on that. And recently, I've read a book um, that is referred to a lot in other podcasts that I listen to. Um, and I read one, I'm rereading it for the second time, but now reading it one little paragraph at a time and reflecting on that as well. But I think the one thing that has helped me the most in being able to stay positive is refinding um, martial arts for myself. And the best way to explain it is um, like a singular focus mindset. So, and what I mean by that is if you or any of your listeners have ever um, done a crossword puzzle or a actual puzzle, um, you know when you're looking for something so intently, it doesn't matter what's happening around you, what your goals of the future are, what has occurred in the past, you are singular focused on that task. Um, and then martial arts helps me do that where I can go and get an hour or two break and literally um, from a line from For Love of the Game, I can clear the mechanism and then I can come out of that and I have a brand new perspective. Then I can pick up all, all my stuff at the door and be like, okay, here's what I'm going to focus on now. And then really drilling into that ability to think of nothing else for that hour or two um, has helped so much in in everything. So I think the martial arts, and for those of you who, who don't do martial arts, I mean, you could 
build a puzzle. Um, you could do crossword puzzles. Anything that gets you singular focused on something, on that, that task at hand, when you come out of that, you will be able to, to look at things with a clear mind um, because it's wiping everything else and all the stressors that, had, that you've had for the day out. So when you come out of that singular focus, you're able to then, you know, define and, and choose, you know, how to pick and tackle the other things you're working on, if that kind of makes sense. Oh, it completely does. And, and why don't you tell everyone listening, like, what is the martial art that you, you do now? And tell us a little bit about it. So I'm, I've started again doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I did that in 2010. Um, <clears throat> back when I had lost the weight before, um, and due to circumstances, I chose to, to no longer do it because it was an inconvenience for different things. <clears throat> so I found that again. And of course our friend Ben, he does it, he's religious about it. Um, so I started doing it again and I was looking at doing it for so long, Mike, I was looking at changing jobs so I could find a gym that would work with my family dynamics you know, the schedules we have and the things the kids are doing, because that is so important to me that the kids are the priority that, you know, I don't put anything outside of my comfort or within my comfort zone for myself. That's going to negatively impact them or my time with them because I want to be present. I want to do the events they're doing. I want to be, um, the father that they deserve. So I was looking to change jobs, to find a gym, to accommodate that. And then by pure luck, a gym opened up, like brand new gym, brand new shopping center opened up within a few miles of my house. So I did not go and just do the old James way and sign up and then let my family know. I actually had a conversation with them and saying, you know, I understand, you know, this girl does this on Mondays, this girl does this on Tuesdays, everybody does this on Wednesdays. It's like, do we think there's enough family time and ability without taking from our current dynamic where I could do this. And it became clear that we could do it. So then I was able, and I signed up after that conversation took place and then began going. Um, and I go four or five nights a week for an hour or two every night. So that's wild, man. And, and it is it's funny you mentioned, you know, Ben, who, you know, some, some of the people out there might know as Primal Bro on Instagram. You know, there's also Danny Vega is, is big into jujitsu. And I've got a lot of actually other connections that aren't as kind of like known between us um, that are that are into jujitsu. So I almost feel like it's it's got this presence that's out there that's that's really strong. And I, I see so many people, you know, getting benefits from going into it. And it's not. It's it's not mar the martial arts are clearly just not about, you know, a fighting or a defense piece like there's really something kind of incredibly spiritual and, and focused about it for everyone that I, I think just is really fantastic in terms of that mental clarity and giving some focus and organization and, you know, also having a there's something to be said about having a challenge that increases. And I think that's one of the great things about a sport like that, where you reach levels, but then there's another level to attain and another level to attain and challenge yourself, you know, in, in different ways. And so I, I, I think it's great to hear that that's something that is really become a, a powerful tool for you. It is definitely puts into perspective the, 
compounding effect of doing small things where, you know, when this gym opened, everybody was pretty much new. You know, they had sponsored athletes, if you will, who were higher ranking people come in so that, you know, everybody wasn't brand new. I mean, brand new. So, you know, you go, you can definitely now that I've been there like three or four months, you can tell the difference between the guys who go routinely versus the guys who go once a week versus the guys who go once a month, where it's the, the, the compounding definitely has um, its thing. And then going back to, to Ben and Danny, you know, we kind of all, the three of us have been talking about, you know, trying to get together during a KetoCon um, to, to, get, to get some light rolling in. So if any of your listeners are going to plan to go to KetoCon and interested in or currently practicing jiu-jitsu, um, feel free to reach out to me or Primal Bro or Danny Vega and, you know, hopefully we can all um, set something up because I think there is definitely a connection when you um, practice jujitsu with someone or role, as we say, that you it's it's hard to get that instant connection just having a conversation with somebody. I mean, you, for lack of um, a better way to put it, you are going against another individual, even if you go lightly or you just are rolling with them or drilling with them and not quote unquote competing. There is still a um, definite connection with that individual because even if, you know, like Ben, he's a way higher level than me and Danny, but, you know, there would still be that instant connection. It's hard to explain. <laughs> Oh, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I uh, if anyone doesn't know what KetoCon is, it's a convention that happens. Uh, it's been happening in Austin, Texas. It's happening in Austin again next year. Um, a lot of us will be there again. So in, in the podcast notes, there's even a link for you to get some more information about the event. So you can check that out. But I think that would be awesome if you guys are able to connect that way. And I'm sure that would actually, you know, turn into something that more people would want to be involved with. I, that's really cool, man. I think I think that sounds fantastic. So, James, so where are you now in your journey? Like, if we had to talk about, like, where James is today, it's, you know, you're a year, you're over a year out, uh, you know, sober. Uh, you're, you're at this point where you've been thriving in a ketogenic lifestyle. And you're, you've got, like, I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the books that we, I, I think, read around the same time, you know, dove into around the same time is, is Ryan Mickler's Sovereignty. Um, and, you know, that the book speaks to a lot about responsibility as a man, responsibility as a father and a husband. Like, where, where do you feel like you're at in all of those areas of your life now? Like, do you feel like you're on the path that you need to be or, and you're just kind of working these tools to move yourself forward? Or what are what are the things that are challenging you now? Um, yeah, no, you're right. That book, um, you know, definitely we did start around the same time. Um, and reading that and, you know, I lean kind of on the, on Ryan's, um, principles and other authors principles in their books to kind of build on myself. I mean, I am definitely putting my family first before myself now. Um, you know, I will miss things for myself to be present for them. Um, where before I would not do that, you know, being 
trying to, you know, now my, my kids are almost, they are teenagers or soon to be teenagers and putting myself now in a situation where, you know, eventually they will be dating and I want them to go and date people who are like I am now versus who I was. Um, because, you know, daughters are definitely looking as to their fathers as the individual of how people not only treat their wives and their daughters, but, you know, they're going to look for those attributes in the future for someone that they want to connect with. I think that makes a lot, that is a powerful, powerful statement. And how do you go about getting yourself ready for that? Like, I think that's, you know, for the dads out there that are listening, that that are terrified about their daughters getting old enough to date, like, you know, is it more you just know that you stay the path you're on and keep reinforcing, you know, modeling those behaviors and putting them first and just kind of, you know, lead by showing? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, putting my best foot forward to represent who I want them to go and find as a future partner in their lives, you know, and when that day comes, you know, if the groundwork and the principles are there, you know, if there are events that come up, you know, that individual's character would come out, you know, even as a teenager, you know, we were all teenagers. We know the games they play. We know all of that, you know, but, you know, for me, I think if my daughters were to begin dating here, you know, seriously dating here soon, um, or especially as they get older, you know, I would invite that person that they're dating to come with me to martial arts, not only, you know, to better themselves, but then they could then protect my daughter and their partner. Um, you know, making sure that I involve them in some of the key readings and books that I, that I keep for myself and use as references that, you know, they can then begin to build the kind of character that, that they want to be. Um, but yeah, it's more or less staying level-headed, grounded, not blacking out, not being, you know, self-absorbed, um, being, as Ryan would say, the protector, the provider, and the presider of my family, because that's the individual I want them in the future to go and find. That's... I, I think that right there is is the lesson for people to to come to in your story, man, is that you look at the places that you've been and the challenges that you've faced and where you are now. And so much of it, you know, so much of the good happening for you now comes from you being able to find the ability to make that mindset shift and through the physical link, you know, not just through a ketogenic lifestyle, assisting, you know, with mental clarity and those physical pieces but also getting into, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, you know, the fact that, you know, there's something to be said about a physical activity helping to bring mental focus. Like people discount the connection between the mind and the body in so many different ways. And I think there's something to be said there to, for finding that, you know, and whether that's something you someone works out through, you know, how they work out in the gym or building that routine through a martial art or something along those lines, like finding a way to engage your body and your mind at the same time just seems like a really important facet to a lot of the successful journeys that I've talked to people that they've been on. And um, I, I, I love hearing, you know, the, 
the way the choices you're making are going to impact the future that you're building for yourself and for your family. I, I think that's really fantastic, man. So one of the things I did want to talk about for you, like, because you have in telling us your story, have shared a lot of experiences of, of, of when change has happened, you know, whether it was a change you saw coming or an unexpected change, like through your career and different life events, you know, and, and that kind of throwing you off course. Like, what is your perspective now on something like that happening again? Like, how would you, what are, what are the lessons learned for you? You know, if, if, if you were to have that carpet pull out from under you again, like, what do you, what do you think would be the, cause I think that's something useful for people to hear is like what your thoughts are now on something, an event like that happening in your life. I mean, it's kind of like we said earlier, I can only control what I can control. Um, you know, if a life event or something comes up and, you know, I lose my job, you know, I have to go find a new one and that becomes my new time job. But it's like, don't sit and cry about it. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, it's pick yourself up, dust yourself off, take one more step, progress forward to your goal and keep going. Um, you know, none of us can change yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday's gone. All we can do is keep going, keep going forward um, with a positive mindset, a positive outlook and control what, what we can control. Very well said. Very well said. Well, James, I want to thank you for being so open and sharing your journey with with my listeners today. Like, are there are there any topics or is there anything you wanted to say that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about tonight? No, um, I just want to let, you know, all your listeners know that, you know, no matter what, um, you're important. Someone out there cares about you. And if you're in a depressive state and need to be heard, please feel free to DM me on Instagram. Um, I've been there. Um, I know how dark things can get. And I know that some of your listeners out there are probably struggling with substance abuse. Um, but it is possible to change. Um, it's slow. It's hard. Um, but truly, if I, if I can do it, I believe anyone can do it. Well said, man. Well said. And your Instagram, give them what your actual Instagram account. I'm going to put that in the show notes and, and give a hot link there for people. But what is your account so people can find you? Sure. It's my uh, full name, James Aaron, A-A-R-O-N Simpson, S-I-M-P-S-O-N. There you go, man. That's plain and simple. So thank you so much, James. I'm, I'm excited that we finally get a chance to talk. Uh, it was fantastic that we finally got to meet, um, meet and eat some meat at KetoCon. Um, and I look forward to being able to do that again really soon. But we're going we're gonna to jump into the final feature of the Fat Guy Forum, which is the Fat Guy Five. I'm going to throw five questions at you. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So first, living or dead, tell me, who is your favorite fat guy? The Kool-Aid man. Hey, there you go. He's, you know, how can you not like a fat guy that breaks through walls? Exactly. And he never, he never has to fix them. Like, that's what exactly. I think is most impressive. Like, I actually used to have a T-shirt. It, it was actually a, a T-shirt I used to wear when I was bigger. It was an 8XL. Um, and it was the Kool-Aid man fixing a wall with someone standing over him yelling at him. Um, <laughs> like, I, I just don't, I don't think people ever thought about that. Like, what happened to all those walls? Um, right. Question, right. Number two, question number two. Um, you know, this, 
you're it, it's funny because you know well not funny but you know i ask this question of, of most guests because most of my guests experiences are centered on their relationship with food but when you were you know kind of at your heaviest or at your worst with food what would you say was your quintessential fat guy meal all right so quintessential fat guy meal um a box of hamburger helper uh two or three packets of ramen uh with cheese and down that with probably a six pack of beer or um a bunch of whiskey <laughs> there you go there and you're not the first person who's ever said to me when they used to really when they were bigger they used to eat ramen with cheese and i never did that like I don't know what it is. I'm a cheese lover, and I used to eat ramen by the, you know, the eight pack, and I never combined I, them. And I, I just feel like I missed out on something back in my well, I think, days. I, yeah, like, what it is is you had to drain it, so you would use mm, it more like a macaroni, right? And then some of the tricks are, you know, you make the ramen real quick, the dry pack, and then you add the spice packet with all its lovely ingredients. After you mm. drain, after you've drained the water, and then you throw in a bunch of cheese, and then it's just this blob, more or less, mm. it's like a che cheesy noodle blob, more or less than not the the soup. And that's and I honestly I never made it as soup. I always made it as the noodles because I loved I loved that salty MSG hit of that packet when it was concentrated. Like I would make. Like my ramen, like we're going off on a ramen tangent now, but my ramen was always the ramen, drain the noodles, leave a, a tiny enough water in there to wet the packet when I put it in, and then probably add about a stick of butter. And it, you know, that was my experience with ramen. Like I was a buttered ramen guy, I guess. I like buttered noodles. I still yeah. think, could think about but, buttered noodles. I, I, it's still one of the reasons why I like lightly sauteed, sauteed cabbage cooked in butter. Because it reminds me of buttered noodles. Um, but now, now someone's going to tell me I'm insane for comparing cabbage to noodles. So we'll move on to question number three. <laughs> we'll move on to question number three, man. So if there's, a, if there's a guy out there, and like I normally say, like if there's a, a fat guy out there listening who wants to, to make change in his life, but also if there's someone out there who's dealing with a substance abuse problem, James, what is your number one tip for them to try to make change? Start small, stay consistent. I don't think you need to say anything else. I think that's perfect, man. Question number four. What podcast, book, YouTube personality would you recommend to someone that needs motivation? Well, I'll definitely restate what we talked about earlier. is definitely um, Ryan Mickler's book, Sovereignty, and his podcast, mm. Order of Man. Um, but some other books that I would recommend are The Four Agreements um, and The One Thing. Um, I mean, Mike, you know me. I read tons of books. So, Oh, um, yeah. I, we could do a whole podcast on books, just you talking about books you've read in the past two weeks probably. We could spend an hour. Exactly. I would definitely recommend yeah. As a Man Thinketh um, by James mm -hmm. Allen. It's very, very short, um, but it is powerful um some of the people mike we know um collectively on the gram um have reached out to me when i posted that that um, if you are struggling with substance abuse that that is a book that 
is um, essential and kind of inward looking. And then one of the more recent books I've read is um, Wild at Heart. Um, it's kind of like mm. a, a, cr- a Christian view on uh, masculinity. So I'd recommend those two. It's it's funny because you posted about Wild at Heart. Uh, was it last week or the week before? I think. Yeah. I think you posted. I think you posted about it, and I ordered it that day, and it's gotten lost in the mail. So I actually have an email out to the the person I bought it from, and I'm like, the book's missing. What's going on? Because you know, I feel like I need to check that book out. So I'm excited to to dive into that one. Um, question number five. Well, and I have to say, of all the guests that I've asked question four of. You were the one I've been waiting because James and I have been talking about James coming on the podcast for a while. And when I was thinking of of the questions for the Fat Guy Five, I think I had you in mind when I came up with that one. Like I knew he was going to have a good answer for that one. So I appreciate that, that you, you, you threw those resources out there. You did a good job with that one. Question number five, and this is the, the last question for you today, James. Can you tell us one of your non-fitness or weight loss related goals or even... Um, I would say even outside of, of the realm of, of your substance abuse, like one of your goals for the next year are not related to those topics. Um, I definitely want to, this is probably going to qualify as fitness, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, want to compete in jujitsu at least once within the year. Um, and then I just want to, um, be there for my kids, you know, as, as events come up, there's, you know, my young, my oldest is in high school. Things are going to come up spontaneously. And I just want to stay present, calm, collective, open-minded and present for her. Um, and not put myself forward and put her, put her first. There you go. And, and I'll accept I, I, I like hearing that you want to compete. So I'll, I'll accept that as, as a, a non-fitness related because I think that's more about, you know, a competitive goal. I think that's fantastic, man. So James Simpson, thank you so much for joining us today in the Fat Guy Forum. I just really want to express that I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and to, to share your experience so openly with, with our listeners. I think there's a lot for people to unpack there and learn from in your journey. So I just really want to say thanks, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Definitely. So this is your host, Gourmet. You can connect with me on the Instagram as well at Gourmet underscore goes underscore keto on Twitter at Gourmet goes keto. And you can email the show at the fat guy forum at gmail.com. As always, I want to encourage you to do two things. One, if you're listening on iTunes or an Apple product, please, please, please go and drop us a rating. You know, five stars is nice, but you know, I want you to be honest and realistic. Give me your real rating. Give me some real feedback on there. It helps us get in front of more people. I feel like a lot of people say that and I don't say it enough. So I'm just going to give you that bump to give us a rating if the platform you're on allows us to give you one. And also beyond that, do something to amaze yourself today because you all are amazing people, my friends. This is Gourmet signing off. I'll see you all real soon.